This is Limitless Possibility. I'm Luc Olivier Dumoulin. And I'm Yannick Magnin. And what's our topic for this week, Yannick? PlayStation 5 First Impressions. Good. And for a rare moment, we don't have any follow-up, so let's jump into that topic. All right. Uh, we did an episode about uh, what was at the time going to be next generation consoles uh, two years ago, I believe, around yeah, this time back. of year. Yeah. Um, and I just want to give people a quick refresher on like what the big deal is with PlayStation 5 uh, in case you've forgotten or you don't care. Uh, so on the hardware side of things, uh, PlayStation 5 is pushing up the resolution of games uh it can output up to 4K resolution right now, although I'm going to note that the box does say 8K on it. Uh, there's currently no way to output 8K with uh, the PS4, uh, the PS5 right now. Uh, even if you have some crazy 8K cable, can't do it. Uh, but generally, what this means is uh, on PS4 Pro, there was a, a higher end of 4K as well, except most games did not hit native 4K. They were hitting much lower resolutions and they were upscaling to 4K using fancy techniques. And there are even more fancy techniques nowadays uh, that have really good results. Uh, But PS5 for many games is actually able to hit native 4K, which is very interesting. Uh, And we'll get back to that a little bit later. Uh, Thanks to HDMI 2.1, it can output up to 4k at 120 frames per second uh, which is more than any of the hdmi cables that i have can handle except for the one that came in the box uh so that's hmm. fun uh and that will also come up later but uh don't worry i didn't buy a new display yet uh yet yeah uh <laughs> The graphics hardware in the PlayStation 5 can handle ray tracing, which is a big deal for better reflections, lighting, and shadows. Uh, Ray tracing is a graphics technique that uh, I've been aware of since at least like the the mid-90s. There was this piece of software that was shipping on like System 7 called uh, POV Ray that would let you do ray tracing, but it was obviously uh for still frames and it took a really long ass time to render back in the day now you can do ray tracing in real time uh and at very well very high is subjective but at 4k resolutions uh or slightly less than that uh one of the big things they were pushing was 3d audio with speakers or headphones this i must actually say uh i have zero experience with uh 3d audio because i haven't really set it up on my speakers and the headphones I have uh, for use with my old PS4, they sort of hack around the Dolby surround signal to give their own sort of version of 3D audio. So I don't think the actual native 3D audio stuff is going to work with them. So I don't think I have a good way of testing it. Uh, So I haven't tried it out yet. So maybe later. And of course, like the other big thing is uh, PlayStation 5 and Xbox Series consoles are the first consoles to ship with SSDs as their default and only storage option, really, uh, for quick to no load times, which is really, really cool. On the flip side, there's also the controller, which has gotten its own upgrades there. Uh, There's a big emphasis on the increased haptics that this controller has. 
Uh, you have a lot finer grain vibrations. Uh, I believe we talked about this as well in previous episodes. It has a similar API to what the Taptic Engine in the Apple Watch uses, where you sort of feed it like these sound clips that are played as vibrations and not necessarily as sounds, or uh, even like the 3D rumble stuff on the Switch. Uh, so that's cool. And uh, the one that is maybe the most obvious once you put your hands on the controller is variable resistance triggers, which will come up later as well. Mm, and those two are the ones I am so eager to try it at some point and hear your thoughts too. <laughs> uh, there's also some software stuff uh, that changed. One of the big software features that they were pushing with uh, the PS5 was this notion of activities. They want your home screen or the quick menu in the uh, in the UI to basically be this launch pad, not towards games specifically, but also to specific levels or objectives or missions in the game uh, with estimated links displayed in line in the browser. And uh, this is something I did not actually realize until I took the PS5 out of the box, but they are pushing the PlayStation app really hard with PS5, and I'll get into why that's cool. Uh, but let's start out with the initial setup experience. When you take the PS5 out of the box, I feel like they've streamlined the setup significantly compared to past uh, PlayStation hardware. Uh, very quickly after you take it out of the box, it asks you, hey, do you have a game? Is it on a disc? Maybe you should put the disc in right now so I can start installing it so that by the time we're done with the setup process, you maybe have half the game installed already. Uh copies uh so the interesting thing is because uh everything revolves so heavily about around the ssd uh contrary to ps4 games where only a portion of the game needed to be installed to uh your hard drive this just installs the whole damn thing uh and that means upgrade uh not upgrades but uh installs take a really really long time compared to ps4 and you would benefit to start it as early as possible during the setups uh stage so that's why they make it happen very very early uh, of course this assumes you have the disk based model uh, if you don't have a disk based model or uh just later on in the process once you're actually on the network it asks you or it actually shows you a list of ps5 games in your psn account and it says hey do you want to download any of these games? In which case, you can just click on the one you want to have preloaded on your PS5. And once again, you can go through the rest of the setup process uh, and it's downloading in the background, which is great. Uh, unfortunately, because the PS5 upgrade system is very, very complicated, and we will get to that later, uh, the list of digital games you have access to is probably incomplete and wrong. Um, so that's fun. Uh, you might not see games that you expect to be seeing in that list when you're doing the setup process and that can be disturbing. Uh, we'll get back to that. Just coming back on the thing you mentioned about installing and just like partially installing a game that allows you to play. So is that fully gone from the PS5? Meaning that even downloads don't have that. What do you mean? Uh, so when you were, when you download a game on PS4, uh, certain games would allow you to say after maybe 20% of the game being downloaded you can start playing with it while the rest is downloading in the oh yeah yeah ready to play can... yeah that's still around that's not the issue it's just when you're uh, when you're copying off of disk it literally copies the entire disk to hard drive 
Mm, okay, so Ready to Play didn't exist for this bacon. This basic. Don't installs. think it does. Hmm. It's been a while since I installed a game on my PS4, so yeah, hard for me to remember. At least none of the games that I've tried have supported it. Hmm. Okay. Right. So eventually you get through the setup process and naturally, of course, there's probably going to be a firmware update uh, because there are firmware <laughs> updates quite quite often on PlayStation 5. Uh, and what's actually interesting is while you're doing your first firmware update, it actually sort of softly continues the setup process while you're updating your firmware. It tells you, hey, you have a phone, scan this QR code and install the PlayStation app. So let's talk about the PlayStation app. Uh, oh. The PlayStation app is really fucking good compared to how it was on PS4. PS4 was just a shitty web app. It was really bad. Uh, the functionality for the PlayStation app on PS5 is really, really good. So you can do what you used to be able to do on PS4, which is you can uh, purchase and install games remotely. Uh, you can be notified when the game becomes playable or when it becomes ready to play if it's one of those games. You can do something you couldn't do on PS4, which is you can manage your console storage remotely, which is very Ooh. important for the PS5 because uh, you can only play PS5 games on the internal SSD. Uh, you can use external storage for PS4 games only or to archive games, but you cannot play them off of external storage. Uh, there is an expansion slot, but you have to use very expensive, very specific uh, M2 SSDs uh, to put in there basically an m2 ssd that is fast enough and has a heat sink uh can be used to upgrade your internal storage you can manage all of that storage directly through the app so if you are out and you're like i really want to install elden ring because that comes out today uh but i'm out of the house and i have no storage left on my ps5 you can remotely just wipe your entire ps5 and install elden ring on your <laughs> ps5 if you want and everything is going to be fine. So that's really cool. Can you play a PS5 game out of this uh, expansion? Uh, oh my goodness, but not inspection, but ex expansion SSD if you were to buy an M2 SSD compatible with the PS5? Yeah, if it's an M2 SSD, then yes, you can play PS5 games off of it. But if you're using external storage, it can only be PS4 games. Okay. Okay, one other cool thing you can do with the PlayStation app is you can boot into your games. Uh, so I can be sitting in my bed in my room and say, hey, I really want to play Black Ops 4. And I can go to the phone app, tap on the Black Ops 4 icon in my games library and say, boot this game. And by the time I'm in the living room, it's already done booting. Hmm. That, that's really cool. Uh, I kind of wish there was stuff like um, maybe some uh, voice assistant integration or something like that that would make it even better for lazy people. Uh, but uh, <laughs> I, I'm I'm into that kind of stuff. You're into the lazy people category. Is that what, is that what you're saying? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> obviously, this is not going to work for physical games unless the game is already in your console. But it's still pretty cool. Uh, I uh, I wonder if there was like Sony would ship you a robot just to put the Blu-ray or swap the Blu-rays from your <laughs> PS5. That would be neat. They could sell like a little Astrobot accessory that could do that. That would be cool. Uh, and the last cool thing you can do uh, with the new modernized version of the PlayStation app is you can share your screenshots and clips that you've captured using the share button on your PS5 
directly through the app instead of having to do it through your PS5, which is something Xbox has been doing for a really long time. And Sony finally realized it was a good idea because it really sucks to have to use the shitty PlayStation Share UI to do it on the console. And you can do it. Uh, You do have to enable a setting first to be able to do it because I believe... Uh, the way it works is it just uploads everything to the cloud and then you sort of share from the cloud. Uh, so you have to enable that first. But once it's enabled, uh, you can just share directly off of the phone app and not have to worry about uh, using the on-console UI for that. Okay, back to just the general PlayStation 5 user interface. A lot of it boils down to just being a faster and cleaner PS4. This is the first time I can think of that Sony has shipped a console where the UI feels like an iteration of the previous generation instead of a complete reset in UI paradigms. You're going to see a lot of screens that look very close to their PlayStation 4 equivalents as if they were just reskinned with new CSS, and that's because they probably are. Uh, but the buttons you're going to be pressing to get those screens might be in different places than they usually are. Another really welcome UI change from uh, PS4 is on PS4, if you press the PlayStation button, you get warped off to the home screen directly. And if you want the quick menu, you have to hold the button, which is kind of weird. You kind of expect it to be the opposite. So the PlayStation 5 does the opposite. Uh, So if you just press PlayStation button, the quick menu comes up. Uh, The quick menu on PS5 is very similar to uh, what you would expect from a control center on your phone. So you can customize and add or remove uh, things you want to access and change on the fly, uh, which is really nice. So if you don't have a PlayStation VR headset, you can just get rid of the VR section of the thing and not have uh, calibrate my headset sitting there for no reason uh, if you don't have a headset. Uh, So that's really, really cool. And then if you hold the button, you can go right to the home screen. Uh, And in practice, the quick menu is quite feature rich so you're not going to have to go to the home screen very often so that's pretty good are you ready to talk about some games of course i am i've got to admit that i forgot the astros playroom existed until i got the console in my hands uh Uh, wait how can you forget about this game you loved it so much on psvr yeah, well, I wish I could love it this much on PS5. Um, oh, okay. So Astro's Playroom is a three-hour-long tech demo, uh, and it's it's really cute. Okay, so this is the thing I have to be I have to say about it is that the entire gimmick of Astro's Playroom is that it is a celebration of past PlayStation hardware. There are four levels with four subzones, and each of these four levels is a different PlayStation console. Uh, or at least it rewards you with like collectibles that are uh, based on one of the different consoles. So like one level, you unlock a giant PS1. The other one is a giant PS2. Uh, and you unlock basically like accessories and controllers and stuff for those systems throughout that level. It's really cute. There are all of the little robots from Astrobot sitting around the level just like in cosplay for various games on those systems. There are a lot of references that yes to me the retro gaming sucker uh it it's nice to see that and it's really weird to see a company that was has been so allergic to backward compatibility for a while just come out and <laughs> celebrate their old franchises um so like that part is really really cute i don't like the game so much um but 
I think that's because it's really more of a tech demo. Uh, This is a game that is all about showing off the new controller. And unfortunately, the only real new thing in the new controller is haptics. And haptics are really cool and nice to have. And this game shows them off really, really well. There are windy areas where you can feel the wind through the vibration of the console, uh, of the controller. There are parts where you are skating on ice and it feels like you are skating on ice with the controller. Uh, You just feel it in your hands. And I mean, that is really, really cool. But what sucks as a game player is that gameplay wise, there's really nothing here that's enabled by the new controller that it's showcasing. Uh, this is completely unlike Ape Escape, where in Ape Escape, the gimmick, which was, hey, you have a dual shock controller with two sticks, that introduced entirely new styles of gameplay. This is not entirely new styles of gameplay. This is an Astrobot level pack with high quality haptics. And I think that sort of disappointed me. I was expecting it to be more than that, and it just wasn't, which kind of sucked. Uh, but it's three hours long, so I mean, like, it's still worth playing, but it's a three out of five stars for me. It's not like a super wow game like Astrobot was, where it was a five out of five stars. Uh, and I, I was just kind of disappointed by that. Um, it, it reminds me a lot of, uh, uh, I don't remember what year this was, but basically in, in the old days, uh, Max and the concept of having a computer mouse was so new that they had this app on a floppy that came with your Mac called Mouse Practice, and it was just to learn how to use the mouse. This is Mouse Practice for the DualSense controller. <laughs> it's really just like get used to how the controller feels, but it's not much more than that, and you're not going to necessarily want to come back for more afterwards. I'm not going to say it's kind of disappointing, but I I, I, I kind of feel you, though, because I recall when you let me try uh, Astrobot on the PSVR, is, it was not a tech demo per se, but it kind of was too, but it was really a great game that then you realize... Oh yeah, it's a great tech demo for PSVR, but I just want to play more because it's a great game. Yeah, and I think it's very short. Uh, well, I mean, it's literally short because it's not a long game, but it also fell short of my expectations from having played the old Astrobot. In, in many ways, actually, it feels more like the game that came before Astrobot that nobody played, uh, which mm-hmm. was like the Astrobot mini game in the playroom that shipped with PS4. Uh, which was so well received that it actually got fleshed out into its own game. So, like, uh, fingers crossed that maybe they actually like go back and make a full new Astrobot game based on this one, uh, because that's kind of how things turned out on PS4. But they're going to have to do more than just recycle the mechanics from the previous game, because I think so much of the design space was used up by the first Astrobot game. Uh, for PSVR, that now you have to find a new thing to actually make it special. And it can't just be, well, the trigger responds when you use this spring <laughs> thing, right? It, right, it right. feels a little bit limited and kind of gimmicky, kind of like early uh, DS launch titles and all of that stuff. I see, I see. Yeah, I wonder if what you're describing will come part of PSVR too. Who knows? Uh, quite possibly, because I think Astrobot was the one of the best received uh, PSVR games, and I would be shocked if they don't reuse that for PSVR 2. 
Okay, let's talk about the other PS5 game I got with my system, and that is Wretch and Clank Rift Apart. Uh, This is a sandbox platformer meets a third-person shooter developed by Insomniac, which is the same studio that brought you Spider-Man and Spider-Man Miles Morales in recent years. It is a sequel to the 2016 reboot of the Wretch and Clank series on PS4, uh, Wretch and Clank being a series of platformers that were on PS2 and PS3. And the reason I got this game is because I wanted my first PS5 game to be a first-party PS5 exclusive. I did not want to be limited by what is possible in a cross-gen title, and there are a lot of cross-gen titles nowadays. Uh, So I wanted to go to one of the few that we currently have to fully experience the PS5's potential. And if you look back at the reviews of every game that came out during the first year of the PS5, the one that people had the strongest reactions for uh, was Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart. And it made reviewers jaw drop because jaws drop because it felt like the first game that would have been completely impossible to pull off on the previous generation of consoles. And that is kind of what I was looking for when I was shopping for PS5 games. So I was like, this is going to be good. Also, I really liked Ratchet and Clank 2016 and I wanted more of it. So there you go. Um, One of the things I find kind of fascinating about Ratchet & Clank 2016 is that it was technically a game that was made to accompany the first Ratchet & Clank movie, which was kind of like a Pixar movie, except with Ratchet & Clank in it. And it was really weird. The movie was weird, not the game. Um, But the game's cutscenes were literally clips from the movie, (laughs) which was kind of weird. Um, Rift Apart is not based on a movie, so it has no pre-rendered cutscenes. Everything is done in-engine, in real time. It looks better than the clips of the movie did in the 2016 Mm. game. Uh, It has three and a half graphics modes, which is kind of interesting. Uh, There's fidelity, which is 30 frames per second at 4K. There's a performance mode, which is 60 frames per second at 1800p. There's the performance ray tracing mode, which is 60 FPS at 1440p. And there's the 120 hertz fidelity mode, which is at 40 FPS at 4K, which you're probably going to say, wait, that doesn't sound right. You just said 120 hertz. No, that's correct. 120 hertz fidelity is a really cool workaround. Uh, There was enough headroom in the engine to actually let it run at 40 frames per second, but you can't actually display a 40 frames per second game fluidly on 60 hertz displays which is most of the displays out there so if you use the 120 hertz mode you can render a frame every three frames and just give the display 40 fps and it displays super fluidly and it is apparently Hmm. one of the best modes to play this game i don't have a 120 hertz display so i can't test this but I have heard very good things about it, and it has all of the same effects as the full fat 30 FPS fidelity mode. It's just running at 40 if you have a fancy display. Uh, and Digital Foundry is basically like they, they are huge cheerleaders for the 40 FPS mode, and they're like, we hope more games on PS5 actually do this kind of thing because it would be really cool. Naturally, I played in Performance RT. Uh, I have a 1080p display, so I don't really benefit from pushing the resolution any higher. And I wanted ray tracing. And I must say that ray tracing actually does make a huge difference to how lighting reflections and shadows look in game. They look much more natural than they ever had before. And that's because ray tracing 
literally mimics real world properties of how uh, lighting and reflections work. Uh, another thing that I believe I told you offline is that because Ratchet and Clank traditionally has always had very vivid color palettes across their worlds, uh, this game must pop so much on an HDR display, which again, I don't have one as well, but I would really like to see it on an HDR display because the, the, like there were moments that I was just like imp- very impressed by the graphics. And I was like, if I had an HDR display, I would probably be on the floor right now. Uh, so <laughs> that's, I cool. have a solution for you, by the way bring it to your place yes i knew it (laughs) you might want to wait for gt7 to be out before that that's true that's true i i want to get to the other cool technical part of this game which is the gimmick so this is the story of the game but also the gimmick of the game that is technically related to the technology behind this game the villain of the game dr nefarious steals a device called the dimensionator which can open uh, rifts to other dimensions, uh, which is a very important plot point to the entire game. And you can enter these rifts to go to alternate dimensions. And these alternate dimensions, because they are completely different, have completely different assets to the dimension you were just standing in. And so there's this really impressive uh, section in the first level of the game, which is one of the uh, segments that they actually uh, demoed this game Uh, with for the first time when they were uh, showing off the ps5 where you travel at high speeds through multiple rifts in a row and you are quickly replacing every single asset visible on screen with entirely new ones with no load times Uh, and this is largely thanks to the ps5's ssd and a lot of ssd specific tuning in the ps5 asset loading apis so this really is what makes this game impossible on previous consoles is normally you would step through a rift and you would maybe load for like 15 seconds from a disk somewhere, uh, loading all of these new assets in. Now it probably happens before the rift even opens on screen. It's just already streamed. And then when the rift opens, you're seeing the stuff that's already loaded and it's already moving on to loading the next dimension that's coming up in this like... It, it, it's a very linear uh, telegraphed sequence. So they they can actually cheat and load stuff ahead of time uh, but there are other parts of the game where they cannot cheat and it is not linear and it is entirely up to you and things load just as fast it's really wacky um so that is really really cool and it really shows off the power of like what this hardware can do not only in terms of well that says he loads stuff fast fast but also just the bandwidth necessary to get that shit all over the system so that it shows up on your screen uh at 60 fps uh which is really impressive that sounds amazing seriously like it i can not imagine what because you do also mention that a lot of the cutscenes are like rendered by the engine i cannot imagine all the, the cutscenes between... are rendered by the engine oh yes yeah, sorry Actually, i i i tell uh Yes, but what I meant is to say that I cannot imagine also the transition from the cutscenes to also like literally you playing. Because... It's literally instant because the cutscenes wow. use the same assets as the game. It's and there's no drop in fidelity because of that. It's just it's super impressive. Yeah, or weird animation to hide the drop in fidelity too. Yeah, none of that. It's just nice. super high fidelity. And one interesting detail uh, is I was looking at the reviews for Horizon Forbidden West this week. And what's really interesting is that PS5 does 
all of the cutscenes in engine. PS4 just basically like they pre-rendered the cutscenes on a PS5 somewhere and they rendered them out as movies <laughs> for PS4. But basically like that's how good the cutscenes are is because they're just using the same assets as the game and the game is just using very high fidelity assets. It's super impressive. And the other thing I need to mention of course is Ratchet and Rivet, which are the two main characters of this game, have fur which is not an easy thing to model. Like, the fur was really impressive on the PS4 Ratchet & Clank, but it looks even better on PS5, especially close up. Uh, And Clank and... uh, I can't remember the name of the parallel dimension uh, Clank, but um, those two robots, they're shiny robots, which is great for ray tracing. Uh, So it's... Even just the main characters are a good showcase of the technology... uh, behind these graphics which is really cool i want to talk about shooting mechanics Uh, one of the great things about ratchet and clank is it has a wacky array of weapons you do not have to unlock any of them and you can unlock them in any order you want as long as you have enough uh, bolts to buy them and they have very wacky and cool upgrade trees over the entire course of the game which let you do some crazy shit and come up with wacky combos to stun lock opponents into infinity, which is what I did throughout the entire game because it was just too funny. Um, these guns feel really, really satisfying with a better rumble. Uh, pressing the trigger is just super satisfying. You really get a sense that each weapon is completely different in feel to the other ones. The shotgun, uh, when you shoot the shotgun, you really feel the impact of the shot, which is completely different from like the sustained uh like stun damage that you get from using the lightning gun and the haptic responses you get when doing all these really sell the power fantasy of the weapons which is really cool uh never really thought about it that way and i think it right now at least of all the shooters i've played uh which is two of them on ps5 uh this one has the much better haptics the other one is cyberpunk which it has issues uh with the haptics anyway uh I want to talk about the activities implementation for this game. What I fundamentally like is it does what's written on the tin. If I go to the quick menu, I can see the estimated lengths of the missions that I currently have access to, and I can plan my personal play session around those things. And generally, the missions were somewhere between 35 and 65 minutes long. So I could say, eh, I kind of need to go do something else. I'll just play the 35-minute one, and... uh, We'll go with that for today. And that was really cool. I'm usually not equipped with that information when I play games. It's kind of nice to have that information. I just wish I didn't have to press a button to go to the quick menu to see those. I would like to see that information directly in the game. And I understand from a game design perspective, you don't necessarily want to put timestamps all over your game because it kind of makes it feel off. But I would like a setting that would let me see it at least in the in the game because the information is there. It's literally in baked in the game. It's just it's not visible through the game. It's visible through the home screen, which is weird as hell. There's a downside though, which is every time I actually clicked through to an activity, the game just took me to the menu to load my save. It doesn't actually do what the marketing materials made it seem like it was going to do, which is take me directly to that activity. Uh, Ratchet and Clank does not do that, which makes you wonder what the point of this even is. Activities seemed like something that was especially going to make people with physical games have FOMO because you can't jump from game A level 
B to game B level C very quickly if you have to swap a disk between the two. And activities, the promise behind it was just like, use it like an app switcher. You just load up your recent document, which is this level you were playing, and it'll just switch to it in like 10 seconds. And uh, I've seen videos of it working for people with specific games, but it doesn't seem to be suited for all genres of games. And at least for me, it seems like this seems extremely tuned to quest-driven open-world games, which like examples I can think of off the top of my head are most of the Sony prestige titles, Horizon Forbidden West, <laughs> Spider-Man, Miles Morales, uh, Ghost of Tsushima, like all of those games seem perfect for this thing. But if you're not a quest-driven open-world game, I think this feature is just going to fall flat. And I think maybe I don't have FOMO after all. <laughs> and in our previous episode where we discussed uh, our uh, video games taste or what video game genre we like to play it's not the type of game that you usually enjoy either but uh, yeah definitely not Um, although I do have a PS4 copy of Horizon and I have a Mm. PS5 patch of that that I can play at 60 FPS so I I am looking into playing it eventually I just have too many games to play so (laughs) It's funny to mention this because people are tweeting a lot about uh, Horizon and I kind of recall not getting too much into the story of the first game and every time I see a tweet I'm like should I kind of replay or try the new game on the PS4 version first before I get the the new game and I'm still uh, unsure and spitballing on whether I should do that or not. I've heard a lot of good things about uh, Forbidden West. It's just, it seems like the story from Zero Dawn is very much a prerequisite to understanding what's going on with Forbidden West. So if you don't remember the plot points and details, you are going to have trouble following along. And that means I can't just jump into the second one if I mm. care about the story, which like I, I'm not entirely sure I do care about the story, but... uh I mean, I have it. I might as well go play the first one. Um, but yeah, to be continued. However, speaking of games that got PS5 upgrades, let's talk about Crossbuy. Uh-oh. <laughs> so I, I I kind of spoiled the surprise to you earlier because I was I had to explain it to someone on a forum I'm on. Yes. And let's let it make it clear. I was utterly disappointed that you explained it on the forum first and not on this podcast. Yeah, well, sometimes you you just don't want to make people wait a week and a half before getting a reply on the forum. Um, so still, I, I, I'm I'm going to add additional detail to this one because I've actually uh, run into more cases. <laughs> and I'm sure they are not positive cases. So uh, let's get the basics out of the way. Game developers do not have to offer PS5 upgrades for games that have PS4 and PS5 versions. Game developers are not required to make PS5 upgrades fee- free if they offer one. In fact, Sony is the main studio that wants to charge for PS5 upgrades. Uh, there is a lot of complexity with upgrading to PS5 native versions to cover. And when you compare it to what is going on with Xbox, uh, Xbox is the much better system. So let's start with digital titles because that is the real clusterfuck. Any cross... What? <laughs> That's the worst situation? Yeah, digital titles are the worst. Uh, physical are the easiest. What? That makes no sense. I know. <laughs> That's okay. why I want to talk about it. Okay, so, I'll, I'll let you talk. 
Okay, so any cross-buy title that you purchased after the PS5 existed will properly be listed in your account as PS4 plus PS5 in your game library. I'm going to mention examples for all of these cases just so that I'm not pulling this shit out of my ass. Uh, I bought Guilty Gear Strive last summer. It was a game that was released after the PS5 was out, and it came out as a dual release on PS4 PS5. I have both. Titles that you own that were retroactively given PS5 upgrades must be dealt with manually on your part before you have access to the PS5 upgrade. And this is where all of the weird cases come up. And it's there's no consistent rule for this shit. Some of the upgrades are free DLC. Uh, Final Fantasy VII Remake and Final Fantasy XIV uh, were this for me. Uh, Final Fantasy VII Remake is a weird case because... I got it through PlayStation Plus. For a couple of months, the PS5 upgrade was not available to PlayStation Plus owners, and then they decided to give it once enough people had bought the PS5 version outright. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. yeah. Some upgrades are free DLC. I don't know if this applies to all uh, FF7R players, but it is a case that can happen. Uh, and I'm just going to guess from my experience that most games implemented as free dlc but most games is closer to 50 percent than 75 percent some upgrades are free but listed separately in the playstation store i'm thinking of subnautica and destiny 2 here your existing digital licenses of those games extend to those versions but you need to manually go to the PlayStation Store and add it to your library. I don't understand why it's not in your library, because you have a license to it. It's just not in your library. You have to go add it to your library. This is why a lot of games that you probably own today don't show up during the setup process. When it says, hey, here are the PS5 games you own, I was like, why the fuck is Destiny 2 not here? Destiny 2 is free to play, but it's listed as a separate binary on the PS Store, and you have to manually go get it yourself. Yeah, I was about to say it's a different skew, so it shows up at the different products, so that's why it doesn't show up. Oh my goodness. Yeah, makes no sense. Some upgrades are paid DLC. This is very similar to the free DLC thing I said. Again, this is mostly Sony Sony games, uh, so if you want to play uh, Death Stranding, uh, Horizon? No, Horizon is back compat. It's a weird case, but it's not a PS5 upgrade. Anyway... It's complicated. Uh, you'll find out because when you get to the page, it'll tell you, please pay. Uh, so, th- yeah. Some upgrades are full price remasters for PS5 <laughs> with no upgrade pricing. So uh, this is the case for Neo 1. Uh, I have a PS4 copy of Neo. Uh, it's technically a physical disc, but this is true for physical and digital. Uh, Neo Remastered is technically positioned in the store as a ps5 upgrade but neo remastered is literally a full price remaster of neo one so i hope you like buying the game over again or just go buy the neo collection which has neo one and neo two remastered together and you'll save a bunch of money none of this is explained anywhere (laughs) that's not all Some upgrades are free, but only for specific deluxe or definitive editions. So this is the case for Control Ultimate Edition. If you have Control Ultimate Edition, you get the PS5 upgrade for free. If you have regular Control, you have to go buy Control Ultimate Edition if you want a PS5 version at full price. Fun. Wow. So I just want to be super clear that 
None of this is explained to you anywhere in the PS5 UI. There is basically no UI to deal with any of this shit. You have to go to the PlayStation Store and figure it out yourself. Good luck. Sounds fun. <laughs> Let's talk about physical titles because it's it's perfect. It, I can't complain. Okay, so here's how it works for physical titles. You put the disc in the drive. On the right hand of the screen, there's going to be an icon that says PS5 upgrade available. It has a price tag on it. <laughs> really? You literally click on it and then you either pay or don't pay if it's free. And then you have a download of the PS5 digital version that will only launch if you have the PS4 disc in the drive. That's the only limitation. It's literally the same binary as if you just had the PS5 digital version. Zero complexity. Wow, that's it's so simple. It's just there. Yeah. And uh and like the problem with all of this shit is because there are so many weird cases and none of this shit is explained anywhere, there were games I technically did not know you could upgrade to PS5 because the messaging is so unclear. So, uh so I I got Death Stranding for my birthday last year and there was a full price remaster of Death Stranding for PS5 called Death Stranding Director's Cut released a couple months ago. And because they were selling this as a full price remaster on store shelves, I was like, well, clearly there's not going to be an upgrade for PS4 people, right? Well, no, my friend told me the other day, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. My friend just put the PS4 disc in it and said, pay 10 bucks and you can just pay uh, play the full price remaster and i'm like what the fuck so i literally tried it 15 minutes before the show i put the disc in the thing and it said ps5 upgrade available 15 canadian dollars and like (laughs) i was like what the hell so it's it's not the same game though because you have the normal cut not the the director's cut the director's cut literally just adds a racing mode like i think that's the only new content they added Wow. You can just race your shitty motorcycle around a track somewhere. It's like, okay, sure, whatever. Uh, so I haven't decided if I'm going to get the, the PS5 upgrade yet, but it's good to know that there is an option there. But yeah, uh, physical titles, I mean, it's literally the experience that we should be having. Well, actually, no. It should be even dumber for digital titles. You should just have the PS5 version unless you need to pay. Like, literally, everything is they have your library in the cloud why do they not automatically redeem all your ps5 shit i don't understand (laughs) right and i guess at install time if you for a certain reason you want to install the the ps4 version in back combat mode just like it asks you or you or it's something like it's an hidden menu where it say oh i want to install the back combat version not by default that's the thing once you actually like do the shitty process to actually have the PS5 upgrade, then when you go to your library, it shows up as dual PS4, PS5. It's just you have to do the shitty step first. And it's never clear what the shitty step is. You just have to figure it out, which is the worst game I've played on PS5 so far. Right. And it is so interesting that for, in theory, the first time ever, they have a discless console which means they assume that people will be possibly moving their downloads from PS4 to PS5, and they made it the shittier way to upgrade games. Yeah, if activities would work for literally every game, in theory, 
this console would be heavily incentivizing you to buy digital games. And then digital games have the worst cross-buy experience of, of all time. Even PS3, PS4 was less complicated. PS3, PS Vita was less complicated. Like this is just the worst cross-buy system Sony has ever come up with. And they decided to do it like the, for the first time you can get a digital only console is really fucked up. And every time I explain it to someone, I have to be like, I'm not making this show. <laughs> it's actually <laughs> like this. And sometimes I feel completely crazy. Um, I do want to talk a little bit, though, about the complexity that this adds to the process behind buying physical versions of games. Because the experience of actually redeeming the PS5 upgrade is simple. It is perfect. It's as good as you can expect for this kind of thing. However, now you have to think about which version of the game you're buying if you're buying physical copies. Physical PS5 games generally cost about $10 more than the equivalent PS4 game at MSRP, even when there's no cost to the PS5 upgrade. So you're literally just paying $10 more to have white ink on the label of the game instead (laughs) of blue ink. Uh, So... If a PS4 game has a free PS5 upgrade available, it's probably going to be cheaper to pick up the PS4 disc than the PS5 disc, especially if the game has been available longer on PS4 and you can find it used or discounted. Uh, This is kind of the hack I use to get uh, Cyberpunk for $20. Is uh, Well, first of all, I bought it before the PS5 patch came out because I knew they were going to have a PS5 patch eventually. Um, But like, just capitalize on the fact that the ps4 version sucks and uh buy it for cheap and then wait for the ps5 patch to come out and the timing just came out perfect because it came out last week uh so and just to make it clear the ps5 patch for us free yes okay so that is now something you have to consider when you're looking at buying physical copies of games as you can be like Do I actually want the PS5 version or do I want to get the PS4 version that is going to have a free upgrade to PS5 if you can get it there cheaper, which becomes somewhat of a mental burden if you're buying physical copies. So I just want to make people aware of that. The other thing is if you're buying games for preservation purposes, the disc you're buying is only going to have PS4 code on it, not PS5 code. So if that matters to you, just be aware of that. So that is the whole saga of cross-buy. I hope uh, it made sense a little bit, or at least I tried to make it as clear as I could because there are a lot of cases and I don't even know if I ran into all of them. Yeah, your your explanation made sense. The process does not. Oh, it definitely does not. (laughs) So uh, before we end the episode, I do want to talk about uh, something that is not strictly PS5 related, and that is PlayStation 4 Pro backward compatibility. You and I have skipped the PlayStation 4 Pro. And now that I have a PS5, I'm seeing a lot of boosts in PS4 games that I'm revisiting, but those are not necessarily boosts because there's a PS5 upgrade for those games. Those are mostly boosts that I hadn't been seeing for years because they were limited to PS4 Pro hardware and I did not have it. Mm. Um, I do want to note the developers do seem to have some weird way of detecting if their game is running on a PS5 through backward compatibility, and that enables them to mess around with flags and take the limiters off uh, without needing to recompile their game against a cross-gen version of the SDK. I believe this is what Horizon Zero Dawn is doing. Technically, it's not a PS5 binary. It's a PS4 binary that 
detects if you're running on a PS5 and just changes some things. This is also what enabled uh, Cyberpunk 2077 to only really be playable on PS5, even though it didn't have a native PS5 version until last week. Uh, It was just detecting that you were running it on PS5 and just like setting the flags to medium, I guess, because the console versions don't really look anything like the PC version. Uh, Like I mentioned, I'm playing all of this on a 1080p display, and generally PS4 Pro uh, performance modes run at or exceed 1080p, which means not only am I seeing boosts or the same in terms of resolution, I'm often seeing higher quality effects, and I'm seeing higher frame rate for a lot of PS4 games I play, which is huge. Uh, A lot of games, like uh, I'm... I, I haven't decided if I'm getting the Neo remaster yet, but if I boot up Neo on my uh, PS5, I can play it at 60 frames per second at 1080p instead of 720p, which is a big upgrade because that game doesn't look very good at 720p. Oh, it was 720p on PS4? At 60 FPS, yeah. Oh, wow. It was 1080p 30, but it, yeah, this yeah. is a sweaty action game. You're not going to play that at 30. Um, so... As I'm slowly amassing a PS5 game collection, I'm still playing a lot of PS4 games because there are a lot of PS4 games that I have amassed over the years through PlayStation Plus that I still haven't played. Uh, There are still PS4 games that I don't have that I would like to play. Uh, There's the 20 games that they gave me for free with the PS5, which is also great. So now I don't have to buy Final Fantasy XV because I technically already own a copy. All those are PS4 games. And most of those were released in the second half of the PS4's lifespan, which means they had PS4 Pro support, which means the experience is going to be a lot, lot better for me than if I had stuck to my old PS4. So this is like really good for me uh, while I wait out this weird cross-gen period where the chip shortage is ruining gaming all over the place. Uh, I can just... Not only gaming, but... I know, but like graphics cards and consoles are really fucking hard to buy these days so yeah it's it's gonna be really cool and it's been a really really long time since sony has offered prop has offered proper backward compatibility on their home consoles it's really nice for it to be back and i hope this continues for the foreseeable future because it's really nice to not have to have one of each playstation console hooked up in my setup because I'm running out of power outlets and stuff, and it's really nice to be able to consolidate stuff into one console sometimes and get the optimal experience for all of these games. Uh, so I'm really appreciating the PS4 Pro back compat, and I've only scratched the surface. There's a bunch of PS5 upgrades I want to mess around with. There's a bunch of PS4 Pro modes that I haven't messed around with yet. And I just have a lot of... Uh, rejuvenated interest in my PS4 library right now because of all of this fancy PS5 stuff. And it makes me really excited. And I have a lot of stuff to mess around with while I wait for Gran Turismo 7, which is going to be the next episode. Probably. I uh, don't say probably. Well, assuming we get our copies on time. Uh, optimism. We will get our copy on time. <laughs> I sure hope so. <laughs> Me too. Uh, worst case scenario, if we don't get it on time, we will have a, a strange Monday. That's a worst case scenario. We don't receive it on Friday, but we receive it on the Monday. Like we will have a a, a strange Monday to Thursday till we record the episode. It's true. To ma- make sure to have some first impression. Yeah. Good. Is that it? 
That is it. So I don't know if you'll have that much uh, show links in the show notes, but if you want to find additional notes for this episode, you can find it at limitlesspossibility.net slash 178, 178. You can also find our back catalog of episodes at limitlesspossibility.net. You can find the show on Twitter at limipo underscore podcast. That's L-I-M-I-P-O underscore podcast. You can find us individually on Twitter. I'm at Lukonush. That's L-U-C-C-O-N-O-U-C-H-E. And Yannick is at? Sakarina. That's S-A-K-U-R-I-N-A. And opt- Optimism, we'll see you in two weeks talking about Gran Turismo 7. Hell yeah. See you in two weeks.